Uh, it's good to see everybody. Last night, I really enjoyed myself. I had to drive from Chicago the day before. Thankfully, I didn't get stuck in, um, in any other states with all the weather. So let's just pray real quick, okay? Just close your eyes. Father, we just thank you that he, the Holy Ghost, is here. I really sense his presence. And I thank you that you uh, speak to our hearts today. We're going to shotgun this one, Lord. But I thank you that as we preach, as we minister, as you impart, that people get a hold of this, they'll take it home, and our lives will never be the same, and Jackson will never be the same. In Jesus' name. So I'm trying not to do this, but I have, I know Michigan fairly well. Is it this one? I've got, uh, see, see, see? Been ministered all over here, ministered all over here, been way up here to the UPA, hey there, up there. I've crossed the Mackinac Bridge, I've been all over. Okay, real quick, so I have a little bit of understanding. There is a debate between Michiganians and Michiganders. They are actual, both two separate um, titles for the, for the peoples here. Go with research it, I have researched it, and I'm a Californian. <clears throat> so I'm gonna do this real quickly. Some of you have the app, and I'm gonna do my best to do four 12-minute sessions. My daughter put it on my Facebook and said, a crash course to evangelism, which that could be kind of semi-prophetic, but I, it's a crash course in uh, evangelism. And the goal is, I'm gonna give you four 12-minute sermons and you'll get an impartation and then at the end, I believe the Lord's already shown me something that's gonna happen, so we're gonna cooperate a little bit. Um, so the first one is bold. And this is bold. I don't put boldness, I don't put boldly, I just say bold. The definition is not hesitating or fearful in the face of actual or possible danger. You getting this? Not hesitating or fearful in the face of actual possible danger or rebuff. Courage or daring. Bold can be courage or daring beyond the usual limits of conventional thought or action. You know where we're going with this, right? We're talking about evangelism. So I got a call um, a few years ago. I was trying to think, maybe he texted me. I don't remember how we got in touch. Uh, Pastor Pat in Pennsylvania. And he says to me, he says, I had an uh, interesting talk with the Lord this morning. He said, he asked me, he said, who, who do I love? And I looked up that one too. Whom do I love? Who do I love? They're both correct. I checked my English dictionary and all my English references. Whom do I love? Who do I love? He said this and... I want to help you with something. Whenever God asks you something, a question from you, and you don't know the answer, just turn it back to him and say, you know, Lord. So Pastor Pat says, you know, Lord. And he said to him, he said, who do I take with me on the Mount of Transfiguration? And he said, Peter, James, and John. And he said, I love the bold ones. And so I want to do a little side note here. You know, it's good when people call you up and talk about things about God. You have friends and, and men friends who talk to you about God instead of just football and hockey and you know what I'm talking about. And women friends who talk to you about God and not just about, you know, what they're going to bake for the holidays or, you know what I'm talking about? Or what the soap opera, you, you know what I'm talking about? Anyone know what I'm talking about? Pastor and I had a good hour-long drive to Kalamazoo today and we got to talk about some God things. And it's good, you know, they say neurons that fire together, wire together. Be careful who you're firing together with because they're wiring. So that's a side thought, okay? So um, he, anyway, Peter, here's, here's a few things about Peter. If you have the notes on there, I think they're on the app. Peter, James, and John. Let me tell you a few things about these guys. These are the bold ones, All right? He takes them up to the Mount of Transfiguration and... The problem with Peter, James, and John is they are open foot, insert mouth. Open foot, insert, man, you're a tough crowd. <laughs> open mouth, insert foot, okay? I mean, you know Peter, James, and John, right? So I, I even put all the notes in there. Here's Peter as Jesus is going, I mean, they're crying out for what's going to happen on the cross. They're sleeping a little bit. They're trying to pray with Jesus. And then the, the whole army comes in to take him away, right? And um, I, I try to think about that because they were sleeping before. And while they're sleeping, then you hear an entire um, battalion coming up to you. They're not like sneaking up like, Shh, let's get Jesus. 
No, their, their swords and their shields are bouncing around. You know what I'm talking about? It was noisy. They're coming in here like this. And then what does Peter do? He goes, he cuts off the ear of the, high, the servant of the high priest. And then Jesus, on his, on his way to the crucifixion, he has to glue his ear back on. Do you ever picture this? In the midst of all this chaos and the powerful part, it was the high priest's servant. And so Peter's like, I'll get them all. You got God, yeah! And hacks off his ear. I mean, what is a, what is a servant really gonna do, right? And then Jesus reached down. Go check the gospel. Jesus reached down and glues back on his ear. The chief priest had to go, O-M Yahweh, right? Oh, he glued his ear back on. I wonder if he is Messiah. So then Peter and James. Now let's do another one with, Pete, with, um, with Peter here. Um, Peter has a revelation. They're hanging out with Jesus. And he goes, who do men say that I am? Some say that you're Elijah come back. Some say that you're John the Baptist raised. And then Peter goes, not so. He's, no, he says this. He goes, he goes, you are the Christ, son of the living God. And then Jesus turns to him and commends him and say, Oh, flesh and, blood is not, flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my father. So Peter must have been sent, spending time with the father. And then immediately, Jesus starts telling about his death and resurrection. You know, maybe he's leaning only toward the death part. And Peter pulls him aside and rebukes him. Let me, t you know, because now he's all, yes, I'm the one who heard from the father. Hey, guys, just me, Peter, looking at me. Yeah, I've been working out a little bit, feeling really kind of strong. And then what's he do? He goes like this, and then Pete, Jesus has to pull him aside and go, get thee behind me. And he's talking to the spirit that's behind it. So then here's James and John, and if you look at two accounts, James and John are like, Jesus, you think we could hang out for all eternity on the right hand and the left side, you know what I'm saying? And then, but you look in one of the, one of the gospels and it actually says the mom goes to Jesus like, hey, can my kids sit on your right hand and your left hand, right? So um, James and John got it honestly. You know what I mean? The mom was like that. They were like that. And then, you know, he's like, I don't know. Can you handle this thing? He goes, it's not my job. But do you understand this? These are the bold ones. Open mouth, insert foot. Open foot, insert mouth. I tried to catch you on that last one. You know, I, while I'm writing this down, I actually scribbled down three little notes on here. And I was like, some of you, you were crazy before you came to Christ. Don't smile. Don't wave. That was me. That was me. You know, don't do that stuff. And then you come to Jesus, and now you're holy and dignified. You keep your collar always buttoned up. You, you know what I'm talking about? What I would say is take a little of that crazy and mix it with your Jesus walk. Because I believe that's what Peter, James, and John because if you look back in, I think it's Mark, I've taught on this years and years ago in Georgia, some came to get fed, the 4,000, okay? And that was just the men besides the women and children and uh, babushkas and all the rest of them. And so then, then you go a little farther there, I think it's in Luke, it might be in Mark, you go a little farther there, and um, then all the people, all the scribes and the teachers are sitting with Jesus, so some come to get fed, and then others are like, oh, Tell us, Jesus, these tickling words. We want to get your information. But then he takes the crazy bold ones and they get to see his glory. Are you with me? I'm talking about evangelism. The crazy bold ones, open mouth, insert foot, they get to see his glory. I know I'm waiting for people to go, ah, pick me, pick me, you know, this right guy. Pick me, pick me, pick me. But we don't like to be that pick me, do we? Unless we were on the other side. I know this is a conservative area, okay? And so we're all, there's no problems ever. We've all lived straight. I wasn't that way. I was a crazy surfer in Hawaii. Just, I can't even believe some of the things I did. But then I told the Lord when I came to him, I said, I went to Hawaii. First, I tried when I was 17 and checked myself in a hotel and then found out it was a little dangerous. Worked my way back and then I moved back when I was 19 and then... I said, I went with probably the other guy. You know what I'm talking about. Probably went with the other guy. And, um, but now that I've come to you, I believe you could get me in any city and I could hear, I could hear 
and you would take care of me. And he's taken me up on that a few hundred times. The bold ones. Sometimes you're inappropriate. But then it's like the little boy on the playground. And I, I, always, I always wonder this. The little boy going, he goes up to a, a bigger kid and he goes, my dad can whip your dad. And you're like, how do you know? Is your dad like an MMA fighter? You have no idea. But you know what the kid sees? He's my dad. And I love my dad. And, and if I'm saying he's going to whoop your dad, you don't know what's going to happen if the dad's really met. You know what I mean? Are you with me? But I want to tell you something. Our dad can whip anybody's dad. And, I, and I'm, I'm, I'm saying that tongue in cheek. Our dad is the God of the impossible. Our God can restore blind eyes. I've seen it in Nepal. I've seen everything up to the dead being raised. But in Bulawayu, no, Boyele, um, Uganda in February, a, a, one of my team from Idaho went with me to do a campaign and she said a month before she went, she had a dream that there was a dead baby in a womb and they came up for the healing line and she said, this is the dream I had and when they laid hands on the baby, the baby kicked again. So I can't say with my physical eyes, I've seen the dead raised, but I've been in proximity of the dead raised. So I want to tell you this. The bolder you are, this is what I was taught, the greater the manifestation of him, the Holy Spirit. Now, I, I try to highlight him, the Holy Spirit. I know a lot of people, like, we call him Holy Spirit. But I want people to realize he's a third person of the Godhood, and he's with us all the time. There's times I clean my seat off when I'm doing my drive, and I make sure I'll leave my water in there because, you know, he... He's represented by water, you know? I probably could light candles in there. I'm just kidding. But sometimes I'll put my Bible in there, my word, because the word and the spirit agree. But there's times I'll do a drive uh, when I drive back to Chicago, and I will talk to him, the Holy Ghost, sometimes for hours. Because I want him to be so real in my life. Because if I know how real he is in my life, then my daddy can do anything. Bold. The bolder the declaration, the greater the manifestation of his glory. I'll tell you, when we proclaim from this pulpit how mighty our God is, our mighty God shows up more and more and more. With God, all things are possible. I was thinking about this evangelist from the 50s, 60s, 70s, etc., and he used to have a phrase that said, expect a miracle. And I used to think, why would you want to do that so much? And then I started realizing he wants to keep people expecting a miracle. I mean, it hit me. I'm like, that's why he did it. Because he knew he had had a miracle in his life with his speech impediment. He'd had miracles all around. And he was like, I want others to keep thinking, meditating, mutter, utter, speaking, imagining about miracles. Because how many of us live a natural life in Jackson, Michigan. Second, second session here. So bold is the first one. Second session, impetus. And I, I, I just didn't know how else to say this. I'm not trying to be like intellectually cool. Hello, welcome, I'm a visitor and I would like you to know how intellectually intelligent I am and because I do open mouth insert foot many a time. And so it's a moving force, impulse, stimulus, and I can, I just say this, it's the reason. Now, if you have a little bit of a sensitive nature, you might want to plug your ears on a couple of these, but it's my impetus why it's so imperative that I can't stop doing what I'm doing. And um, uh, a minister, I think from Indiana, Lester Summerall, I'm just invoking it because it's his story. He was preaching, I think in Indiana, in the... 40s or 50s, and he fell to the ground in a trance. I'm not advocating falling into ground, on the ground and going into trances, but if God does it, the Bible talks about it, Peter fell into one, it is scriptural. Don't look for it, because the other guy will accommodate you, and I'm talking about the devil. Okay, there are spirits out there that will accommodate you. Don't look for it. Let God do what God wants to do. You just seek God, his word, 
worship, and witness. How's that one? And so um, he fell to his knees and um, he uh, went into a trance. And in the trance, he was taken up into heaven. He said there was an angel beside him, but every time I read it, he says, he calls him Lord. And he sees all these people walking along this path. And there's a little end there. He can't see that part. And he sees just people just trudging along. And then he sees this little breakaway, a small amount of people going this direction. And the angel asks him, said, do you know who these are? He said, no, Lord, but you know. Kind of like that other pastor. If he asks you something and you don't know the answer, the best thing to do with the Lord is say, no, Lord, but you know. I'm trying to give you a little hint there in your life because we want to get better, right? So he goes off. He says, who, who are those people? These are all the people on the road of life. He says, they're just here. They're deposited on planet Earth and they're on their way. They're all just trudging. I kind of think of them as lemmings. Okay? That's, I just, that's my, my thought when, he, when I heard, read it a bunch of times. So then there's, there's a break off here and there's all these people going to the right. He says, who do, who do you believe those are? You know, Lord. He says, those are the ones who found the road to life. These are the ones on the road of life. These ones who found the road to life. He said, do you want to know what's at the end of the road of life? He said, sure. And the angel swoops them down. And as they're getting to the end of their life, they're on a precipice like this. And down below is this lake of fire. And as they're getting there, they realize they're going to spend eternity in hell and they're grabbing their faces and blood is spurting out and they're trying to, no, no, no. And they're crying out. And Lester Summerall says this, he's crying. He says, can't you stop them? Can't you stop them? And Lester Summerall says, the angel turns to him and says, I can't seeing it's your fault. And he's like, what are you talking about? And he, and he looks down at his hands and his hands are covered with blood. He said, the blood is on your hands because you haven't told them about eternity. And he's looking down. He said, Lord, what do I do? What do I do? And he says, you have to go to them. He says, I don't like those people. I don't like those, those different ethnic things. I don't like those people. And then he, he wakes up in a trance, from the trance. And they've shuttered up the little farmhouse um, church. And everyone's left and the lights are out. And that was his impetus to pursue souls all over the world. Uh, Proverbs chapter 29, verse 18 in the NLB. I don't know where I found this. I like to cite, um, uh, I have some friends who write books and they're like, you, you know, you have to give um, footnotes to everything. I, I looked, I looked, I don't know how, where I found this. When people do not accept divine guidance, this is the NLB, Proverbs 29, 18, they run wild. And this person posted this, I thought it was really the NLB translation, said, it does not mean that those without vision were screaming memes. Does anybody know what a screaming meme is? They were screaming memes, running around, tearing their hair out or something of that nature. It simply means that those without the revelation of God, those without God vision, live purposeless, not lives. And then a couple other translations, Without vision, my people run amok. My people perish. I am losing track of time here. I see the same time on there, so I don't want to break my rules. Are we okay for everything? Help me, help me. Okay. So right now, October 31st, 2022, the world population hit, uh, according to the Worldometer, I have it on the notes in there, Worldometer, they have... Worldometer.com, 8 billion people on planet Earth. 8 billion. A lot of those people aren't going to heaven as, at this point in time, which means there's a lot of wild people running amok. We're the only ones. We're the only ones that can help them. I was surfing Zuma Beach about 10 years ago, maybe 15 years ago, right down the street from where I live right now. And surfers are real territorial. I still surf. I surfed with my daughters last week in, uh, in California. And uh, my one daughter's 18 years old. She's at university or Roberts University. My other one's 12. She's at school. And um, I'm out at Zuma, and there's just two of us, so we don't, you don't usually talk unless you know them. So there's just two of us. It's a small day, and we get talking, and the guy says to me, 
Yeah, he says, uh, I said, where are you from? He goes, well, I'm from here, but I lived in Maui. I said, I used to live in Maui. And he said, uh, I said, really, what are you doing back here? He said, this uh, pro surfer was coming out of Ho'okipa on the north side of Maui. And uh, he went through a cane truck. He was a really awesome guy. His name was Brad Lewis. And he said, he's coming through the cane fields, which is a shortcut to go back through this old high school there to get to his house or wherever he was. And he said, a cane truck, the cane trucks have tires like this big. And I said, hit his car. Like I said, if you have a queasy stomach, plug your ears. I'll, I'll tell you when to do it. And decapitated him. I said, really? He goes, it was Brad Lewis. I said, I know who Brad Lewis was. I have an impetus why I do what I do. I'm in Bible college in September. And um, the Bible says... Um, he that finds a wife finds a good thing and obtains favor from the Lord. So if you want to find a wife, you're going to have to look for a wife. So I'm at Bible college my first year and somebody invited me to a Christian party and I'm getting in my 69 Carmen Gia and I just moved from Hawaii to Tulsa, Oklahoma and I'm driving to this party that was up 51, uh, the Broken Arrow Expressway and the Holy Spirit says to me, I'd come from this uh, little worship thing, and the Holy Spirit says to me, I'm full of the word, I'm full of spirit, and the Holy Spirit says, go to Price Mart and buy some chips. And I'm like, Lord, I'm a Bible school student, and you know, it's, it's shorter to go up 51 than it is to go all the way up 71st and then at Sheridan cut all the way across to there, and you know, I'm a Bible student, and even though my 69 Carmen Gia gets really good gas mileage, um, it will probably save me some fuel, and the Holy Spirit says, go to Price Mart, and get some chips. And so I'm like, but you know, Lord, if I drive this way, you, nobody else does that with the Lord? Tells you to do stuff. And like, hey, I have a better idea. You're the God of the universe. I know that you've done a lot of amazing things, but you know, I got my life pretty good, right? So then after the third time, I'm like, yes, sir. So I drive to, I drive to um, Price Mart at, I think it's 71st in Sheridan. And I go into Price Mart. I go to the chip aisle. And um, there's this 21-year-old man named, I think his name was um, Justin, and this 18-year-old girl, and they're counting out their change. And I go to grab a, ba a bag of chips, and I said to them, what are you guys doing? And they're like, well, we're buying the chips. I said, don't buy the cheap chips. If you can't afford the best chips, at least get the middle-grade chips, because the cheap chips are really terrible. Okay, so I'm, I just came from a worship thing. I'm kind of full of the Holy Spirit. And then they look at me and I said, if you need some more money, I, I, I'll give you like 50 cents so you can upgrade to the better chips. <laughs> I, I'm not kidding. This is really how it went down. And so the guy looks at me and goes, you're drunk like we are. <laughs> and, and I looked at him, I said, no, no, no. I'm not drunk as you suppose. But this is that which is spoken by the prophet Joel in the last days. <laughs> and he turns to me and he turns over his arms like this. And he has cuts in his wrist. He says, maybe you can help me. He said, somebody keeps telling me to kill myself. And he said, I went to this denominational rectory, you know, no references, and he said, I went up and asked this, the guy who came out, priest, minister, well, let's not pinpoint anything. He said, can you help me? He said, these things keep telling me to cut my wrists. And the man said, you smell like you're drunk. And he said, that man smelled like he was drunk. And I said, let's do this. And so on the chip aisle at 71st and Sheridan, we crisscross applesauce right there on the thing. People are pushing carts around. Remember I was talking about bold? I knew the Lord said, go to Price Mart and buy some chips. We sit down and I say, pray this prayer with me. So we pray, he and his girlfriend, whatever, we receive Jesus right there on the, on the aisle. And people are literally pushing, you know, we're young people, who cares, right? And uh, I said, give me your number because you've got to get in church. 
So he gives me his number, and that was like a, probably a Friday. So I call him on a Saturday. No, I don't really feel like it. So the next week I call him, hey, do you want to come to church? No, I don't really feel like it, but call me next week. I know it was September, the end of September, because I called him, and right after the end of October, I called, and his dad answered the phone. I said, is Justin there? He said, no, he's not here right now. No, he said, no, he's not here. And I said, uh, okay. He said, who is this? I said, it's Cliff. He goes, are you the guy who's been asking him to come to church? And I said, yes. And he said, on Halloween night, Justin committed suicide. I remember I was sitting on that floor. I go, devil, you didn't get this one. I'm talking about impetus. I was living at Mark Fu's um, surfer house in, at the end of May, which is the season ends and usually around my birthday, May 25th. If you want to write that down, you can. I'm joking. <laughs> There's one big swell, six to eight foot. They call it Hawaiian style, which is 12 to 15 foot faces, 12 to 16 foot faces. So you always get one last swell. And um, I read my Bible every day. I minister the word to myself every day. I come out of this surfer hostel, and there's, we're in Michigan, right? So a girl from Urbana or Madison, Wisconsin, I think they're right beside each other, sitting down there, this gymnast. And I walk out, and they're all like leftover surfers from the season. And she's like, oh, yeah, my name's Carol. And I said, what is Carol from Urbana, Urbana or Madison, Wisconsin doing at a surfer house on the North Shore at the end of the season. And out of my mouth rolls these words. I know what you're doing in front of everybody. I said, you've been smoking pot and sleeping with your boyfriend and you came out here to get away from it all to see if you could put your head on straight. And she looks at me and goes, whatever, dude. And um, two days later, we're down at the, at Jocko's on the beach having a barbecue with all the people from the house. And she says, I've been watching you the last couple of days. I had an airbrush company, and, and um, I just would do airbrush and surf and sell T-shirts, whatever. And she goes, I see your little ministry thing. And she says, um, my dad taught me to invest. And she said, I, I got off the plane in Waikiki or Honolulu. I was going to go to Waikiki. And the surfer hostel bus pulled up, and they said $10 a day. Instead of, I don't know how long, 30 years ago, it was like 60 bucks a night in the hotel. She goes, so I had X amount of money to pay for a hotel, and I only paid this much. She goes, here's $500. I want to invest in your Christian ministry. She goes, this is all I ask you. Send me every now and then some of those cool T-shirts that you're airbrushing. So that was the end of May, and I got distracted. Who knows what happened? And... um. I, uh, I have a dream right around October and C Carol and I have the same P.O. box and, and I'm opening the P.O. box and she says, Cliff, you haven't sent me any T-shirts. And uh, I, I was like, oh, you promised me you'd send me some T-shirts. And so I write her a nice encouraging letter, airbrush a few T-shirts, mail them off. In November, I get a letter that's so why I never remember if, it, if her parents were from Urbana and she was from Madison. And I get this, I don't even know who they are. And they say, um, you don't know us, but uh, our, our daughter committed suicide on Halloween. And we got the t-shirts and the letter. And we realized that there was somebody speaking into her life and you gave us justification to believe that she made it to heaven. So I moved to Bible college from Hawaii um, eight months ahead of time because I'd never lived in the snow. I thought, maybe I got to figure this out. <laughs> so I, I'm, I, was, I, was run, I went for a run over to Or Roberts. My thing was off of, funny enough, it's off of 71st and uh, not Sheridan, but somewhere around there. I go for a run and I hear this number. I don't know how God speaks to you. Don't allow how God speaks to me 
be how God speaks to you. I'm an artist. I'm wired differently than you do. I get pictures and I see things. And sometimes people hear songs in their heart. You stick with the word because this is his first love letter to us. You get full of the word and you obey the word, then him, the Holy Spirit, he will guide you in other ways. And so I'm going for a run and this number floats up right in here. And um, I go to ORU to the fishbowl and I go to call them this number and it's, I knew who the person was, who the number was. And he said, hey, Cliff, um, so-and-so, which is my sister's boyfriend, called my house and left um, this number, 818-703-789, which is my mom's house. So I call my mom and she said, last night, your brother was killed in a motorcycle accident in Newport Beach. He was living with a woman who was 40 years old. He was 25. And I, I told him six months earlier, I go, the Lord says something bad's going to happen if you don't get your life straight. And he's like, you know, I'm tired of you and your opinions. You're holier than thou. And I'm like, David, I'm trying to tell you, God gave me a word. I, I mean, he didn't receive it the way we would say a word was. But, but I take this seriously. I, I have an impetus that causes me every morning to wake up and go, there are young people that need our voices. I recognize in my own personal life, I have more stories than that just that put me on the course. And I recognize that there was a thief who comes to steal, kill, and destroy according to John 10.10. But Jesus said, I have come that they might have life and that more abundantly. When I was a surfer in Hawaii, this testimony, this next one, we're winding up. I lived at 54 Kaimao Street, Paia. You know what I'm talking about, right? Off Hana Highway. You make a left in Kuau. It's like a total little surfer community. So every morning I could look, look out my window. I had the bottom half of the house. There was a family that lived above me, and I could see the wave indicators of how high the waves were. Every night I went to bed at 500 push-ups, um, 300 sit-ups. Every day I was watching for, I was looking for the waves. Every day I was hungry for the waves. Every day, I didn't get to surf every day. But I was always prepped or ready to go surfing. I had my board out, I had my car, everything was ready. I only dated surfer girls. I only wanted to go to surfer movies. I was super focused. You know what I'm talking about? You know what I'm talking about? I, we were always like checking the weather, if it's Kona winds, south winds, if it's a trade winds, the north winds, because it affects all the waves. Always I was prepared to surf. Luke chapter 19, verse 10 says, for the son of man has come to seek and save that which was lost. The Christian standard Bible says, seek and save the lost. Jesus came from the perfect place. I don't know your life. I don't know if your house is perfect. Nobody ever fights. Nobody ever does this. You got enough food on the table, you know, every day you go to work. It's super happy land. Jesus came from the most perfect place, heaven, to the dark, darkest place, earth, during the darkest time. There was no salvation. If there would have been one, it would have been with the Jews, but it wasn't available to them. He came down. And it says he came to seek and save that which is lost. I like to call him a closer if you're a salesman. He didn't just come to seek, all right? He came to close. He wanted people to get born again. That's why he gave his entire life. I have the, um, I had to pull it out of this. Oh no, maybe I have it in, no, I don't have it. It's in the hotel. I have the entire medical, um, uh, whatever, expose of what it was like for, there's a name for it if you're, if you're a doctor. Is there a doctor in the house? Um, what do you call that? There's a whole written thing in there where what Jesus endured just in his body alone. I have it there because I preach it sometimes to let people know the thing that Jesus went so that he could save the lost. We're almost done. When I went to Bible college, I was so full. I lived in a little windsurfing town in Maui, 
some of the most well-known windsurfers, some of the craziest partiers, some of the craziest surfers, and I come to the Midwest, to Oklahoma, and I'm around bouffant-haired girls, fully clothed, which they weren't in Hawaii, and that was a good thing. People wore makeup. We, like, joked when the surfer girls would put makeup on to go to Chart House, and we'd all be like, look at her, what is she doing? Because we weren't around that. We were surfers. We wore slippers every day. You call them flip-flops. The other generation calls them something starts at a T. You can't say that anymore. And, um, and T-shirts were optional. But then I moved to Midwest. Christians everywhere. And I got so full of Jesus in Bible college. I'm like, God. I have to go tell some people about Jesus to get some of Jesus out of me so I can get more Jesus into me. I'm not trying to be crass. So I'm like, what do I do? So I went downtown and I would bring people downtown so we would talk to people about Jesus. But in in Tulsa in 89, there was nobody downtown. They went in their buildings, they stayed in their buildings, and then they came out to go home. So I'm like, Lord, what do I do? What do I do? And in prayer school, I had a vision. Go to the land of Goshen, the good land. So back then at our Bible college, we had to wear suits. And I would take people from prayer school at 2, and he gave me the time frame, when to do it, 2.30 to 4.30 on Wednesday. And then if we met with somebody and they got fired up, we'd bring them to church. And we would, I would find anything. I'd like knock on doors, hi. How are you? I'm Cliff. Uh, yeah, you probably noticed my accent. A little bit different than the Midwest here. It was, it was Oklahoma, so sometimes... I'm not trying to be offensive, okay? I promise me either. You won't get offended. Hey, how you guys doing? And I, I didn't talk like that. And so then we're like, yeah, we just... Um, we want to talk to you about Jesus. We would go to Woodward Park and walk, look at the roses and go, man, aren't those amazing roses? Isn't God just amazing amazing creator, and then we try to steer it toward this way. I didn't want anybody's money. I preach about it sometimes. I remember when nobody would go with me, I go, what do I do, Lord, if nobody would go with me? You said you'd send them out by two. And he, he showed me this corner of the wealthiest place right by a bank, and I would stand out there and hold my Bible because I had to get some of Jesus out of me. And I was dressed nice. Um, anyway, We'll just move on from there. And, and so I would preach on the street corner at the nicest area to get some of Jesus out of me. And I remember the bank manager and the security guard would come out and stare at me and I was on public property. God knows where to send you. And now I, the Lord say, I mean, I was one of those guys at Bible college. And then I would try to get people from prayer school to come with me in a, oh no, we're preparing for pulpit ministry. You know, okay, that's cool. I got it. Um, I could tell you a story. One time I'm there. I'm dressed really nice. It was just one of those days. And this lady pulls up in a white Mercedes. Utica and 21st. Yeah, Utica and 21st. She pulls up and a a blonde bob. She was like 20 years older than me. I wasn't interested. And she goes like this. She looks at me. She goes, what are you doing? And I'm telling you, like, you're full of the Lord. He tells you what to say. I said, ma'am, I'm telling people about Jesus. They're dying to know. And she goes, wow, I know Jesus. I go, go tell somebody. I'm serious. So I, I go all my two years while I'm at Bible college. And I get done and I move into the south of France. And I arrive in the south of France. And Dorothy Madden, she was a Jewish um, born again. Fluent in five languages, wore pearls to church, high heels, little Jewish woman, okay, dressed to the nines. And I show up at church the first, the first week. She goes, what did you do to help out while you were at ministry, while you were at Bible college for ministry? And I said, well, I worked in this department, and I did this, and I did that. And this. She goes, no, 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 no. Fluent in French, German, British English, she spoke, um, Italian, and Hebrew, she translated books. She was a translator. And she goes, when did you tell people about Jesus? And I said, I went out from 2.30 to 4.30 specifically on Wednesdays to preach. And she goes, okay, 
That's wonderful. Because I go out, she went in her pearls and her high heels on the promenade des Anglais before church, walked down to the beach and would be, bonjour, bonjour, vous connaissez Jésus? And she would hand out little tracts, this Jewish woman, a socialite woman, that's how God put it in me to the next level. So I punched out in Tulsa. Two weeks later, I punched in, in on Promenade des Anglais in the south of France, doing the exact same thing every Wednesday. I'm telling you, when you get that burden to do it, it'll be all you want to do. I was at a youth, youth camp in um, Greece, and I was teaching. This is about maybe 20 years ago. And um, I was teaching along these lines, and I said, okay, we're done with the youth camp. You know what happens at youth camp. You get all fired up, you go home, you see your friends, and you're like, oh, no, how do I, how do, I do that? And then you're like, oh, well, whatever, let's go back to video game. Anybody know what I'm talking about? And I said, this is what I want you all to do. I'm teaching on this. I said, this is what I want you to do. You have to go home and call one of your friends to come to the, I think it was a Tuesday, Tuesday afternoon meeting. And I said, and if you don't, now these are youth, and I, I knew them well, so I'm not trying to be offensive. I said, if you don't have the guts to call somebody, you have to show up like two hours early, and I'm going to send you out on the streets of Athens. <laughs> okay? There's like 20 nations represented in this church. And so I'm like, you go out and tell people about Jesus because you got to put it into practice. And so they bring one man. It's a youth meeting, okay? (laughs) It's a room about this big and they're only filled up like about 40 or 60 in the front and they bring a 30-year-old Iraqi man. (laughs) And you don't understand a couple of the kids spoke Sudanese Arabic, so then they had to speak in Iraqi Arabic, which is very similar to being from southern Michigan and then having to go to the UP. I'm just, you know what I'm saying? I'm joking, I'm joking. Let's say Canada to England. How's that? Okay, is that better? I don't want to Anyway, so I've been reading this book called Kiss, Shake, or Bow. Kiss, Bow, or Shake Hands. And when this 30-year-old Iraqi man, he was a refugee that had just come over, okay? He's sitting there, and it says when, a, when, a Arab, when you go to an Arabic, a Arabic man comes to your house or Arabic family, you give them a gift. And I'm sitting there, and it seemed like the Holy Spirit prompted me, give him my watch. It, it wasn't a cheap watch. I mean, it wasn't like a super high-dollar watch, but it was a Swiss watch. It was a Julian Colors watch. Do you remember those? Julian Alexander or Alexander Julian, whatever. So I give him the watch. We preach. He has a translator. I'm speaking English. Translator speaking Greek. And then the, the Sudanese um, Greek man, youth, is translating to Sudanese Arabic to the Iraqi Arabic guy. Okay? I mean, boom, 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 shakalaka. And so, so we're preaching, and um, I do an altar call, and he comes up, and you're thinking, oh, he probably just wanted to, you gave him a watch, what else is he going to do? So he comes up, and then I lead him to the Lord, I pray it in English, because you want everybody to hear, so then they pray it in Greek, and then he pre- uh, the man translates from Sudanese Arabic to, to where hopefully he gets all the words. You're getting saved here, you know what I'm saying? You don't want to miss a few words on this thing. So he gets done, he gets done, and then the Lord says to me, get him filled with the Holy Spirit, he's going to need it. So if you want to know if it's real, I laid hands on him, and he did this, it was real, because he was an Iraqi refugee. I don't remember if he had a beard or not, but that would have lent toward a certain situation. So I come back like eight months later, I go, hey, whatever happened to that Iraqi man? And they said, oh my gosh, we never told you? I'm like, no, that's why I'm asking you. You never told me. They said he went out and found 14 of his refugee friends. They came in, got saved, got filled with the Holy Spirit, and then they all got asylum in Sweden. One person, because these kids go, we can't call our friends. We'll feel foolish. But they went out on the street. I'm talking about boldness. I'm talking about telling your testimony.
I'm, I'm wrapping it up, okay? Well, I'm not 100% wrapping it up. So every one of us has a story, a testimony, even if your testimony is the Lord kept me from doing all the stupid stuff. You know, that's a powerful testimony in this day and age. I was witnessing to a guy in France in, um, in front of the Stade de France with another American who had a better book English than I did. I had better street English, or French than he did. And we're witnessing to this young man. He's like, no, I've never drank. I've never smoked. I've never done all the rest of the stuff that fits with those things, especially in France. And all of a sudden, out of my mouth, I start prophesying to him. I said, God has kept you, and you didn't even know it because you've got something to do. Listen, if you've been kept by God, that's a powerful testimony. Don't go, oh, man, I need to have a little kick around just so that I can say, you don't understand, and I came from the dregs. No, you don't. Pick up where you are right now and start telling people about Jesus. Dutch Sheets, I don't, I've only seen him speak once, so I'm not necessarily saying yes, no, whatever, you know. Um, he has a book called Give Him 15, but I always give people credit because I write books and I want people to give me credit. Go, I don't know who that guy is, but I'll quote from his book all the time. So after teaching, this is his, this is his testimony, after teaching on the power of history recently, I was asked by a Messianic Jewish rabbi if I knew the meaning of the Hebrew word for testimony. He wrote in there, I did not. I, I think about that when I see him, I'm like, I don't know if I would write, I did not. I would like, you know, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> but he put, I did not. I'm like, gosh, that's a humble dude. I maybe have a little bit I got to aspire to. So he said, this, this messianic Jewish rabbi said, the word doesn't mean simply to convey something from the past. This is what's powerful. He said, he informed me its true meaning in Hebrew is to repeat an action or do it again. We Hebrews believe, he continued, that when you share about what God did in the past, listen to this, it releases the same power yes. into the present. Amen. When you go around telling people your testimony, I don't care how small it is, you are releasing the same power. One thing, well, I, I was teaching on this somewhere and I said, who knows if it's helping establish who you are in him. The more you talk about what God has done and then you just go, gosh, you should see what God has done. And then all of a sudden your spirit gets stronger and stronger. So a week and a half ago, we were trying to do a, with Eddie Algar, I'm trying to get him back because I want him to do this event. I want him to know just because we had a pandemic and a few world problems, we're back on. I don't give up on anything. <laughs> And so I, I talked to him last minute, come to the World Cup with me. Uh, my partner and I will sponsor you. I got some other men to come. It, it was, I don't know that much about soccer, so I like to have people who know more about things than I know. But I wanted him to skate these bowls, and then we're going to hand out little QR codes. Um, if you're watching on the internet, you never heard this. <laughs> it has been wiped from your mind. <laughs> Luke Skywalker, your Jedi mind tricks don't work on me. Okay. So I was going to hand these out. We get there. We get kicked out of one park because it's closed because of the World Cup. We find another that's totally chained off. They're like, oh, they had a pro, pro um, uh, skating thing. And they said, and then all the local kids tried to skate it. They didn't know how to skate. They're breaking arms. And so they shut it off. I said, hey, can't we just get a permit to skate for an hour? And then we were going to print these little QR codes. Your Jedi mind tricks don't work on me, Luke Skywalker. I'm, just, I'm saying that for a reason, right? You got that, right? So then they'll be like, what? What's he talking about? I'm trying to confuse them. And so anyway, so, um, so they wouldn't let us in. And I said to my guys, I go, I'm a bit of a risk taker. You probably can figure this by now. I said, okay, if, if two of you guys skate and the others of ours film and the guys come, the bad guys come, the really good guys that are not going to be happy about what we're doing, I said, three of us are going to get away. And we're all Americans, so most likely... They're going to let you go after a little while anyway, right? Well, we couldn't get in. So we got kicked out of two parks. We couldn't do what we're, do we're going to do there. While we're there, anyway, bad things happen on all. But I did get to go to a couple of matches. I did see Argentina, Croatia, probably the second best game match of the thing. And don't be hating on me. I I'm just doing what the Lord wants me to do. What do you do, right? So I get up at 6.30 in the morning the day before we're leaving. We're driving back through 
the neighboring country, Saudi Arabia. You didn't hear that either. And so we're driving, and I just wanted to get on the ground. And so I get up at 6.30, I'm like, Lord, we didn't get to tell anybody really about you. That's why we came. To me, this is like everything I do. So I walk to the beach, because I always walk to the beach, and I'm walking there, and I'm just looking at the water, taking some pictures, and three security guards come up, you're not allowed to be here. And I'm like, dude, I just got kicked out of a skate park at Business Park. I got kicked out of a skate park at that other one. And now you're kicking my third time. I've been here like five, four or five days. I'm getting kicked out of three different places during the World Cup. We're Americans. We could do what we want. <laughs> so, so the guys come here and they're like, I'm sorry, it's not open yet. You're going to have to leave. I'm like, leave from what? They're like, nobody's in the chairs. Nobody's eating. Nobody. Okay, so you can tell sometimes I can be... A little bit contentious, but not, all, not very often. So I'm looking at the guys, like, where are you guys from? Because I'm going to find, and one guy's from Uganda, one guy's from Ghana, one guy's from, I don't remember where he's from. And I go, man, I just did a campaign and I was just in Uganda. Like, really? What'd you do? I was telling people about Jesus. I'm like, I'm going to tell somebody about my Jesus right now. And then they're like, oh, wow. And I said, do you guys know Jesus? And two of them are like, yes. I go, what about you? you? You're acting like you don't know Jesus. I mean, it's like <laughs> seven in the morning. And the American is like, you acting like you don't know Jesus. I have my own little campaign here on the beach. And the one guy's like, no, I don't want to make you. I don't want to make Jesus my Lord. So they kick me out. And so I walk up, not because of that, not because of that. So I walk up to Joe and the Juice. And there's one in Santa Monica. I thought it was an American company. And there's this skateboard in the back and nobody's, like a couple people are in there and I'm downtown Doha and I get, I say, hey, can I use that board? Because this is who Cliff Graham is. You know, that boldness, you've been given that boldness for a reason. If you don't have that boldness, when I used to paddle out to surfing waves, if I missed a wave, I would go, okay, there's another wave coming. I'm gonna have to paddle again and get the next wave. I'm gonna have to paddle again. Give it another shot. Give it another shot. Give it another try. So I go up and I say, can I use this skateboard? So then I film myself skating. And then I go back in. And I'm like, okay, give me espresso because I am an espresso connoisseur. <laughs> and so I said, give me a thing. And we're talking to people. I'm trying to be friendly. Very difficult for me normally. I'm kidding. <laughs> and this man comes up to me in Western clothes. And he's got an Aussie accent. And he says, yeah, I'd like a whatever, so-and-so. And, -so. and he tries this card. It won't work. And he doesn't have any Qatari Real. So I said, you want me to buy you coffee? And he goes, uh, yeah, sure. And I could see he felt obligated. Like, are you going to sit? Are you going to, I think he said, are you going to take in? You know, like some Aussie slang for, are you going to be here? And I said, yes, I am. And so we sit down. He's wearing Western clothes. He's got an Aussie accent. He has a little scruffy beard, but you never know anymore what's going on with that. And there's reasons I'm telling you that. <laughs> so we sit down and... Um, he, hey, making a little chit-chat, and he told me, he said, you know, I was getting really jittery, so I stopped drinking coffee, and I was like, why are you telling me this? Who cares? And we're talking, and he says, yeah, I'm, I'm coming from Australia, I'm going to a wedding in Egypt, and then I'm going to, to Saudi, and then I'm going to go to Europe. And I look at him, I said, I, he, I said, where are you from? He said, Eritrea. He goes, you know, it's by, I said, I know where it is. It's right by Ethiopia and by Somalia. He goes, oh, wow. And then I said, um, you know, there's probably, there's probably only a couple of religions in your country. He goes, yeah, there's only two. And I said, and you are so-and-so. And he goes, why would you say that? I said, well, you're traveling away from your family during Christmas. And you're headed to this other nation that I said before. And he said, actually, I'm making Hajj. I'm making the pilgrimage. And I was like, oh, my gosh, guys. <laughs> this is the wrong man you wanted to buy you uh, a coffee in Doha, Qatar. And I asked him, I said, do your parents support this? And I was actually saying, do they, because he's going to travel for a while. I know what he's doing. He is looking for God Almighty. Yes, and that morning, he got off the airport, went to go get a coffee. And God supernaturally led me. And on the person on the next to me, they have one of the things on, you know what I'm talking about? And then there's a lady here, but she's got like Gucci glasses. And I don't, I'm not really sure if that was the plan. 
the original plan. I'm trying to be polite. So we're talking about their book. And I'm telling him about my radical encounter with Jesus Christ on Kihei, Maui, Hawaii, on Kamaoli 2. And um, he's looking at me, and I, and I realize he wants to know the truth. I want to tell you this. Your testimony is powerful. I have mine broken down to, I had a radical encounter with Jesus Christ on Kihei, Maui, Hawaii, Kamaoli 2. And I will find any way to tell anybody because I am doing what our Jesus did. We are seeking and saving the lost, not just seeking them. Every now and then, you got to say to them, you're sitting in that coffee shop, and you're like, oh, what if I tell them, what if I ask them, what do I say? You say, super easy to receive Jesus right now. Your heart is speaking to you right now. You boldly declare. Just like when I got married, I tell them this. I say, you know, no rockets went off, no fireworks went off. I said, when the, when the man, when my wife put the ring on here and the man said, you say I do, I said, even my tax status changed. <laughs> and I'm telling you, it's easier than we think it is. But what happens after that? You do your best to get him into the church. What if I wouldn't have been hungry going, God, I have to tell somebody, what, I just need to sleep a little bit longer because we're gonna fly. When you have that passion in you, okay, we're almost done. I'm re we really are. I'm, I, I'm okay, right? Yeah. Tell me, please. I don't wanna. Yes, sir. We're good? So I'm gonna, I'm gonna read about it, this. This is the gift of evangelists. It's on the, on the thing. It's a publisher of Glad Tidings. I do not know how to cite this. So if that person's looking for a reference from me, I'm sorry. A missionary preacher of the gospel. This title is applied to Philip, who appears to have gone from city to city preaching the word. Judging from the case of Philip, evangelists had neither the authority of an apostle nor the gift of prophecy, nor the responsibility of pastoral supervision over a portion of the flock. This is actual biblical, okay? Biblical evangelists. They were itinerant preachers having it in their special function to carry the gospel to places where it was previously unknown. The writers of the four gospel are known as the evangelists. There's a form of the word ordinarily translated gospel, and there's a Greek word there, except that when, here it designates one who announces the gospel to others. Literally, God himself is an evangelist for he preached the gospel beforehand unto Abraham. Jesus Christ was an evangelist for he also preached the gospel, the good news. Paul was an evangelist as well as an apostle. Philip the deacon was an evangelist. Um, Timothy the pastor and indeed all the early disciples who on being driven out of Jerusalem went everywhere preaching the word in the King James Version. But Ephesians chapter 4 Verse 11 teaches us that one particular order of the ministry disguised from every other is singled out by the head of the church for this work in a distinctive sense. All may possess the gift of an evangelist in a measure. Did you hear that? All of us may. All of us may. And be obligated to exercise its privilege and duty, but some are specially endued with it. He gave some to be apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers. It will be seen that in order of the ministry, the evangelist precedes that of the pastor and teacher, a fact which harmonizes with the character of the work each is rec still recognizing them doing. I'm not reading too fast, right? The evangelist has no fixed place of residence. My wife despises me when I read this thing to her. But moves about in different lo localities, preaching the gospel to, the, to the, those ignorant of it before. All these are converted and united to Jesus by faith. The work of the pastor and the teacher begins as they are converted, as the work of the pastor and the preacher begins to instruct them further in the things of Christ and build them up in the faith. At a later time, the name of the evangelist was given to the writers of the four gospels because they tell the story of the gospel and because the effect of their promulgation at the beginning was very much like the work of the preaching evangelist. In character, the gospels um, bear something of the same reaction to the ep epistles as evangelists bear to pastors and teachers. I have, a, I have a minister friend of mine. He, sometimes he'll preach and God will give him uh, another ministry gift. And he will step into that and he says, I, I don't operate in this gift normally of the fivefold ministry gift. He says, I'm given an allowance of this gift. And he says, I'm aware of it. He's spiritually keen enough to recognize I'm operating in this other office that is not what I normally cooperate with him, the Holy Spirit. Whew. And so, 
when you endeavor to walk this out, you know, the biblical signs of an evangelist are miracles, signs, and wonders because it's the dinner bell to the lost. In Nepal, I saw everything but the dead raised. In Bulawayo, I saw, Bwayele, I saw the very first dead raised. When you cooperate with this and say, I endeavor to get bold, to tell my testimony, to step into this and go, God, I want to be used because Jesus Christ is in you if you're born again. So that means the evangelist in Jesus, the good news wants to get out.